Let's uh, take our Bibles this morning and go to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Make a little uh, little switch this morning. Uh, <clears throat> how many, well, don't just think to yourself here. How, how many of us have uh, family or friends or loved ones that are or have walked away from the Lord and have not yet returned. Um, just thinking of Denise's and Jack's uh, situation here. So uh, I thought maybe I would just uh, right now just have us go to Luke 15, which is a story, uh, a chapter about three lost things. There's lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. And these three um, illustrations are actually all illustrations of a single point. And so I'm going to begin reading, and uh, so just follow along. So Luke 15, all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, and I'm just stop for a moment. When Jesus does parables, the key to understanding the parable is usually found at the introduction or at the end. So if you're reading through a parable and you're trying to figure out what's the point that Jesus is trying to make, the clue is to look at how it's introduced or how it's concluded. So this is introduced with the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling because Jesus was a man who received sinners and ate with them. So I just want you to consider that word grumbling, okay? So here's the parable. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have lost my sheep which was lost. I tell them the same way. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety and nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, before going into the, the lost son here, you, from these two illustrations, what's the point of these two illustrations of losing something and finding it again? There's rejoicing, and not just rejoicing on earth, but rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
as opposed to the 99 Pharisees who don't think they need any repentance. And this is what introduces, this leads us in to the third illustration of the very same point. And this is about the lost son. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, and I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way away, a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began Now, that's not where the story ends. The father has two sons, one son that was lost, a second son that stayed, and we read about him here. Now, his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. He said, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you. I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. He said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. There's a tendency here for 
people, uh, us ourselves included, many times. When we see a situation like this lost son here, to be like the Pharisees, to feel like we are beyond falling away from our Father. And yet I know for perhaps a number of us here, we've experienced this very same kind of thing. A couple things out of this parable about the lost son that I just want to mention. And that's the son when he was restored to his father. He says to his father in verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he repeats it again in verse 21. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, where did that sense of unworthiness come from? Shame. Disappointment. I don't have an exact number, but I disappointed my father on many occasions. And it was a shameful thing. But it did nothing to affect my relationship with him as a son. Because it, as we've talked about before, our relationship with God is through our faith in Jesus Christ, which brings us into the family of God, and that's what we call our new birth. Our, our becoming children of God was never based on what we do. It was never based on our behavior. It is always and only based on our belief in Jesus Christ. And once you believe in the Lord, and once you're born and you have that new birth, you're born into the family of God, you can't lose that. Uh, any more than you can lose your, um, your place as a child in your family because you were born into that family. And you are a part of that family by birth. And behavior is not what makes you a child of God. It's your belief. And so, I am not worthy to be called your son. Have you ever felt that way? Ever felt that way? Based on what? It's a difference between relationship and behavior. Okay. Um, I have relatives. What are relatives? Relatives are people that you're related to. That's what a relative is. Our relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. It's not based on our obedience. This young man here decided to walk away from the blessings that come from being a part of being in the home with his father. And the Lord took him and allowed him to make the choices that he chose to make until he came to his senses. And as you know, as you share about David, we pray that he comes to his senses. Okay? And and I would just, uh, we just don't want to be like the older son who was almost resentful 
because the father received back this erring younger son. So, if you're a child of God and you sin, what does that do? Does that somehow remove you from the family? Now, for my life, for I would say maybe a couple years, I walked away from the Lord. Um, I did things that were not obeying my parents, if I could put it that way. But, you know, I've talked about this before. You can walk away from your family. You can say, I'm going to disown you. You can say, I'm not going to be in this family anymore. You're going to change your name and do all of those things. But there's one thing that you cannot change. And that's that your birth into that family was by biological transaction that took place. You can't change that. That's on the physical level. Spiritually, it's the same way. When the Lord is in your life and you are a child of God, God may let you wander, if that's your choice, but he will not let you go. And so I'd, I'd like you to look at 1 John chapter 2. So 1 John is in the back of the New Testament, almost to the book of Revelation, the, the little book of 1 John. There's two verses here that I think are really important for us to see with regard to um, how sin affects the relationship of a believer. 1 John chapter 2, just the, just the two, first two verses. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation or the atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also those of the whole world. If I sin, verse John 2.1 says, I have an advocate with the Father. It is Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay. And when you come to think about it, turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. All right. So I'm just. The message this morning is upon the judgment, uh, God's judgment upon the rich. And I was thinking, you know, well, we don't have any rich people here, so I think I'll just save that one. So. <laughs> Not monetarily. Ephesians. Chapter one. I'd like you to look at, um, well, let's, let's start with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace, 
freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. If you look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of God's grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved one. The grace of God has been given to us in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you're the recipient of all of these blessings that come from the Lord. And so when we hear of a, a believer or even an unbeliever that falls into sin and failure, um, I hope that we will not respond the way the Pharisees did. Um, wanting the worst for them instead of the best. We have to look at the way that Jesus has accepted us in spite of our flaws and failures. He accepts us. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we often have the tendency to think that I have to clean myself up before the Lord will accept me. And that is so wrong. And it's so wrong because it's so impossible. You can't clean yourself up. You can try, but you just can't do it. And that's why Jesus died on the cross for us. One more verse, and then I'll, I'll just bring this to a close. It's Psalm 51. Let's go there, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David immediately after the prophet Nathan exposed David's sin with Bathsheba. Now, what do we know about David, first of all? Good man or bad man? How's he pictured in the Bible? Man after God's own heart. Um... Do you know when that statement was made about David? This is like going back to Bible trivia. When was that statement made? That statement was made when the Lord was revealing to Samuel the one whom he was going to choose out of all of Jesse's brothers to be the king in Israel. It's way before David became, it's before David became king. It's before David sinned. From that very point, in the very beginning, Saul, King Saul, was replaced by King David. And the Lord says to Samuel, uh, uh, when the, the first son of Jesse appeared, I think he had seven sons. The first one was tall, just like Saul was. And the Lord says, don't look at his height or at his appearance for I have rejected him and I have chosen for myself a man after my own heart and that was David and then so David a man chosen by God 
to be the anointed king of Israel, the greatest king in the Old Testament. And the king to whom God made some unconditional promises that from the seed of this King David would come a descendant who would be king over all of the earth in a kingdom that would last for all eternity. King David sinned with Bathsheba, killed her husband to try and cover up the pregnancy, lied about it, and then in First Samuel or Second Samuel twelve, eleven or twelve, I think it's twelve, Nathan comes and exposes David's sin. David writes this psalm. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight. So that you're justified when you speak and you're blameless when you judge. And David is going to go on here in this prayer and he's going to pray for the Lord to, he's confessing his sin here. And I want you to jump down just for a moment to verse 16. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And there's those times when we feel like we've let the Lord down, and then we try and um, we try and do good things to kind of uh, pay God back for the bad things that we did. And we make vows like, well, you know, I'm not going to do that again, and I'm going to commit myself to read the Bible every day now and go to church and never miss church, and, and all of those good things that we think are necessary to get back in God's good graces. What David says here are, God's not interested in those things. He's interested in a broken and a contrite heart. A broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. So don't think you're going to have to buy God back to get back into his favors. That's not the way God is. What God responds to is, a humbled heart. It's not what you do for the Lord on the outside. It's the heart that you have for him on the inside. A broken and a contrite heart. This prodigal son came to his senses, and when he did, he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And yet his father saw him, had compassion on him, and received him back with great joy. And so as we pray for our loved ones and as we pray for David and, and uh, what God has for his future, uh, let's not do so with uh, a critical heart or a critical spirit. Um, let's do so remembering, and this quote isn't in the Bible, but the meaning is, there but for the grace of God go I. So 
Um, so let's just, not just for David, but for others that we are wanting to restore back to fellowship with the Lord. Uh, let's be diligent about those prayers. And when it happens, we need to celebrate. Amen? Okay. Any other thoughts or comments? Okay, so now turn to James 5. And we'll have our... That's where we will be next week. So I just want you to... Just want you to know where we're going here, okay? <laughs> so next Sunday, we will actually celebrate the Lord's Supper. And uh, we won't be in James 5. We will begin our the next few Sundays going through some of the events of the Christmas story. So um, let me pray with you, and then we'll worship once again. Our Father God, we, um, I don't know, Lord, it just seems like this was a good time to hear about compassion and grace and mercy. Father, thank you for not letting us go. Thank you for always having your eye upon us. And thank you, Lord, for a heart of forgiveness that never begrudges our repentance. We pray for David and for many like him in our families and among our friends who need to come to their senses that their hearts might be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.